Welcome to Equity Matters, a free podcast that uses personal storytelling to talk all things equity. I am your host, Dr. Miranda Ward, a community-engaged scholar who lives in Washington, D.C., but remains a global citizen. For more details on my background, feel free to check out my website at MirandaWard.com. First things first, though, I must admit it feels really good to be back. In case you're wondering what I'm talking about, I actually started this podcast way back in the fall of 2017 as an extension of the health equity curriculum that I teach at the George Washington University. I kicked it off with two episodes at the time, the first called The Doctor Is In, which is all about implicit bias and how that shows up in the patient-provider relationship. And then the other one is called Growing Up, girl about observing black girls with big hair grow up in the era of black girl magic and what that means for me as a black woman scholar educator activist committed to anti-racist and anti-oppressive education so if you haven't already please check those out leave a comment tell a friend post about it using the hashtag equity matters that would be super awesome and much appreciated for real but, um, yeah, you know, life happened, lots of life, and I'm going to talk about that, too. So, really, it was like I looked up one day, and it was summer 2019. So, I'm back and ready to roll. And the good news is I plan to be more consistent now that I have a GW student who has graciously volunteered to be my production assistant. So now with more consistency will come me um, having the capacity to build up a following and, of course, amplify the conversations and stories about equity on a larger scale. So I'm definitely here for that. But today's episode, episode three, Ain't I a Woman?, is a fitting title because we're going to talk about concepts of womanhood. And as you may know, this title also is a famous line and title of a speech that Sojourner Truth gave at a women's convention. And it's powerful because it really begs the question about how historically marginalized identities overlap in critical ways. And I want us to talk about what hasn't changed since Mama Truth accessed this question back in 1851, along with some more contemporary gender-based discussions. So I actually created and teach GW's only global women's health course. Now, don't get me wrong. There's several global health classes offered and a woman's health class offered here and there, right? But none of them have a global perspective for women's health or or the global classes are not talking about women's issues in particular. So the very first assignment that I invited my students to connect with was their own biography and values with the concepts of womanhood. Um, and, you know, these are concepts, not concepts, recognizing that there's no one or right way to think about womanhood. And so, you know, I've read many, many papers, right? Like I said, I've taught this class every semester since 2017, so... Um, There was one actual submission that really stood out to me, and it was from one of my students, Anna Brickman, and she was in my class this past spring, and she offered a really insightful and introspective perspective that I believe offers an incredible launch pad into an otherwise very complex matter, so I invited her to serve us today's guest. And I'm going to use the same questions with a couple of tweaking here and there from the assignment to really kind of organize our conversation. So with that, welcome to the show, Anna. 
Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Yes. So you ready to <laughs> dig in? We're going to have a conversation today. Yes, let's do it. Love it. Okay, but before we jump right in with the first question of many, why don't you share a little bit about who you are? Okay, so um, I'm 19 years old. I'm going to be in my second year of school at the George Washington University. I'm hoping to major in public health with a minor in communications, specifically with a focus in um, women's health, women's rights. I got to know um, you, Dr. Ward. When I saw your class online, I heard Global Women's Health, and I thought that that was just the perfect class for me. And ever since then, it's just kind of confirmed my feelings that this is what I want to do, and this is what I want to study. And yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I must actually just take a side note and share that, you know, as we were preparing for today's discussion, and I was just, you know, sharing that, I would love for you to give an introduction to who you are. It was at that time that I was saying, you know, like, for example, share that, you know, how you're going into your senior year. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to be a sophomore. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> that was hilarious. And that just goes to show you how, because again, you know, in the Global Women's Health course, there's, you know, the whole full spectrum of students, I literally, you were just so refined and like your ideas were so impressive and mature and expansive that I, there was, I'm not to say obviously, because you know I value youth and youth voice, so I'm not necessarily saying, oh, I, I didn't expect this from a 19-year-old, but I definitely <laughs> thought that you were older. So there's that. Here we go. All right. <laughs> I love it. But you know what? The good news in that is that we have another full three years to actually build together. Don't you love that? Yes. I love that so much. So excited. Yes. Okay. Okay, so the first question, it comes in two parts. What does it mean for you to be a woman, and how have you come to think of your womanhood? I think that this question is really complex. So what I love about being a woman and the concept of womanhood is that it can mean so many different things to so many different people, and I think that it's a definition that we make up as we go through life and have our own personal experiences and develop our own identities and expressions of those identities. For me, when I hear the word woman, I immediately think that I'm, I'm proud and I'm proud to have that identity and share it with so many other women. I think that the universal concept of womanhood is so complex and it's ever-changing. I think that women face extreme adversity in every corner of the world in many different ways, whether it's a patriarchal society, um, a political climate, war-torn countries. We have many different struggles, and this exists on such a wide spectrum. And although we are separated by distance and language barriers and, of course, privilege, I think that we have this unspoken bond that all of us understand even though the only thing that we all have in common maybe is this one label and very nuanced identity. And I think for me, experiencing womanhood is just a feeling that I have. It's something that I know deep down as an individual. And aligning with this identity, I feel strong and resilient and confident. Even if I can't always be this woman on the outside, I can identify with her deep down because 
I associate these traits with my womanhood. And I think that my understanding of myself as a woman is always changing as I experience new things and I meet new people and I continue to grow. I love that. You know, what what really struck me is how you capture your thoughts by narrowing in on a feeling, right? You feel strong mm-hmm. and proud and resilient, confident, comfortable even. And I can appreciate this emotive response because it's also one that I share and one that's not mm-hmm. singular as merely a woman because I'm not just a woman. I'm a black woman. So if you think about how power is distributed, how westernized history is written, the default for women is white. And then cisgendered and educated and middle class and Christian, and the list goes on and on, to everything we know about dominant identities. And what we also know is that everything else is othered. And that's why I really love Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum's complexity of identity, which is something that you also picked up on, because she makes very clear that we have these targeted identities, which are often the ones we feel are hyper-visible, right? Since this is often the identity we have to defend or shrink to try to seek atonement. And you actually, um, I'm not sure if I did it in the in your class, but I know I've done it in other uh, Global Women's Health classes, but this is an exercise where I often lead for students on campus where I post a range of social identities one by one around the room, and I ask them to walk to the identity that comes to mind for them when they hear me read a statement, right, such as the, you know, the one that people see first when you walk in the room or, you know, walk to the identity you feel most powerful in. And I intentionally designed that reflective activity for everyone to see who stands where and, you know, kind of share as comfortable, but also to come to the middle if none of the posted identities fit. And I do this so that we can understand how we literally live at the intersections of our identities. So we can't just tease out race in the way that data sets and surveys do, you know. We can't just pluck out our political beliefs as commentators like to do. We are simultaneously living these multiple identities that create these very dynamic experiences that are not really easily disentangled for observation purposes or for processing or even living it for ourselves. So when the law scholar Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality, like we talked about that often in class, this is what she was pointing out. It's interconnected in ways that create a third, fourth, even fifth space. And Patricia Hill Collins made sure we knew that these spaces are indeed intersecting through oppressive systems like zero tolerance policies in schools, parenting practices that are passed down, that girls need to act respectably, right, I'm using air quotes, to avoid being assaulted and laws made by men that dictate what girls or women can do with their bodies, hence where we are right now in the political climate, um, when we've been for a minute, actually. Um, But regardless of how westernized history reads, black women have always revolted, right, always cried out for rights and liberties to be seen and regarded as human. After all, ain't I a woman, right? (laughs) We created our own movements in the 70s, like the Third World Women's Alliance and the Combahee River Collective, when we saw white women fought for so-called gender justice and black men fought for so-called racial justice, though in many of the same spaces, black women remained unsafe, invisible, and disavowed. So... 
you know, these movements were always intersectional, and they grew more and more intersectional because we saw and experienced firsthand what it was like to not just be a woman, not just be black, but someone who was also poor or uneducated or living with a disability or old or even young or not love or live in ways that were prescribed. So the good thing for me is, like, every single morning on my way to the train when I'm headed to um, GW's campus, I actually passed this mural on Martin Luther King Avenue on Howard Road, and it says, no one is free until we are all free. And this is literally the foundation for civil rights movements, right? Whether that's for voters' rights or Black Lives Mattering. And also why I really kind of felt so inspired marching behind and beside black trans women as they led the March for Racial Justice several summers ago here in D.C. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you mind sharing how your experience of gender is also shaped by your experience with race? and how your experiences with your womanhood is made more meaningful by your many other identities? Sure. So one thing I really admire about the things that you just said is I think one thing I've really learned recently is you can never assume which identity of someone, you know, is the one that they choose to put forward the most, the one that they identify with. The, the strong the most <laughs> strongly and often you know there can be more identities at the forefront of their personality than just one so I think that I really had a very transformative year this past year my first year at um, GW and I think that I really started to learn a lot more about how different identities can kind of mesh together to create these dynamic personalities so I think that my experience with gender, especially this past year, has absolutely influenced um, my experience with how I how I see and perceive um, the concept of race. So acknowledging that I'm similar in some ways, but different in many ways from my fellow women who identify as non-white is, has become so important to me because it allows me to step back and to give them the spotlight to celebrate and discuss the intersection of their racial identities with womanhood. Again, because if we view all women as social equals, we can take away from the beauty and the oneness experienced through different racial and cultural identities. So as much as it's great for us to align with each other as women, we also need to allow black and non-white women to come together in, in their identities and have that community as well women who celebrate their blackness. If we were to look at black and white through a lens of equality, then white women could argue that their whiteness deserves to be celebrated. But when we look at this through an equity lens, which we should, we can recognize that the social divide between black and and white that has been historically perpetuated for centuries, that whiteness in America has always been the racial norm. And this can allow us women to recognize that black women celebrating their racial identity is necessary to achieve equity because whiteness doesn't deserve celebration and it doesn't require a social awareness. And I really think that a lot of, you know, that everyone should deeply consider their experience with the intersection of race and gender because it can help you better understand others, but it can also help you to better understand yourself and where you stand. And I think my fellow white women need to recognize and value the racial privilege that we've been given so that we can know when to speak, but also when we can know, um, when we know that we have to be silent. Oh, my God. Anna, yes. I'm like a proud mama bear over here. (laughs) 
Absolutely. Okay, I'm like snapping. I'm like, say it again for the people in the back. Yes, okay, I really appreciate your candor about that white middle class college educated bubble, right? <laughs> so that like really kind of reminds me of what the, um, there's this author named Betty Friedan um, that she talked about in one of her famous books, The Feminine Mystique, which is really kind of like a throwback to what we, talk, what we talk about in more contemporary times as the ability of women to have it all. Um, and she really talked about at that time, though, the white suburban mom returning to the workforce while taking care of her husband and kids. And there was a very public outcry and critique of it, I mean, by black scholars, of course, for not considering the black women who were working for these white women and having to balance the white woman's family alongside their own family obligations. So it really helps me reconcile the contradictions that played out in the last presidential election, right? White women put Trump in office, but then they turned around and marched in pussy hats. So it's kind of like, wait, what? Like the polls show, right? The polls show it was largely the same women, right? And even reporters pulled out women from the crowd who said on camera that they voted for him and they were just hoping he would listen to their request. And what this really points out is how they want to protect their white privilege at the expense of their gender oppression so that they can keep the lineage of power intact for their fathers, partners, sons, and brothers. So uh, on that thread, you know, um, and like you said, I, I'm, I really appreciate you talking about, yes, it's so valuable and critical and important and necessary to really think about, you know, how your race and your gender come together in very important, complex, nuanced ways. Have you ever chose to preserve the privilege of one of your identities over the other? And how and why did you make that decision? Sure. So I would say that I experienced privilege through just about all of my identities, except for one, of course, which is my womanhood. I'm white. I'm straight. I'm a Christian. I've never worried where my next meal is coming from, where I'm going to sleep at night. And, you know, besides um, an allergy to grass and pretty much everything else outside and a generalized anxiety disorder, I'm pretty much as healthy as, as it could get. So I think that the privilege that I have become the most conscious of recently is my white privilege. And I made this decision because it's where I see so many of my fellow white people going so wrong, and it really disappoints me. A lot of us, uh, white women especially, I think, feel like we have to be an activist on either one side or the other. And by that I mean you can choose to subscribe to the All Lives Matter movement or attempting to be you know, an ally, but often failing so miserably, I think, with trying to ally with the um, Black Lives Matter movement. And I made this decision to kind of check myself and my white privilege because I don't want to be a part of the problem on either side. I don't want to victimize myself. I want to learn how to be an effective ally to the communities who can weaponize my privilege and to use it for their own good. I don't want to be, you know, a savior or parade myself as, as someone who can help you know, air quotes, save these communities, because that's not my role. I don't share those experiences. I, I can't understand, you know, those experiences. So I think a lot of white women are confused about the intersection of white privilege and feminism. There are those who are very aware of the privileges that are associated with their whiteness, their socioeconomic background, et cetera, 
and they think that this exempts them from feminism. I think a lot of times we see with white conservative women, they think that they can't label themselves as a feminist because there are those less fortunate. And while, of course, this is a good thing to be aware of, it's an unfortunate mentality because these women are forgetting one very important aspect of feminism. The job is never done until each and every woman in the world experiences fair and impartial treatment, similar to the comforts that we as white women benefit from each day. Like you were saying, walking past the mural on Martin Luther King Street of, you know, we're, we're not equal until everyone is free. We're not free until everyone is free. And while your whiteness doesn't exempt you from feminism, it does exempt you from certain experiences. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean that you face the same adversity as women of color, disabled women, trans women, or any woman who identifies as um, LGBTQ+, uneducated women, the list goes on and on. And I think that this blissful ignorance of privilege that is associated with white feminism is so dangerous. I think that you have to become aware of how your experience sets you apart, and then you can ask what you can do to help other communities. Right. I appreciate you calling out the blissful ignorance, so that's literally what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and also calling out the, you know, this false dichotomy of, you know, choosing the all, all lives matter or black lives matter, right? It's like all lives mattering is the goal. Until right. then, black lives mattering is the movement, point blank, yeah. period. So, you know, I just I, I really appreciate that you recognize that as an ongoing challenge, especially given the colonial mindset that really is at play with, um, you know, with some, you know, supposed allies that think they're going to swoop in and save a marginalized, you know, peoples from themselves. But now for our next question, though, in what ways has your experiences and expressions of womanhood been restricted or on the opposite end of the spectrum, boundless? I really like this question. I think that it's very personal because we all struggle with barriers towards our expressions of womanhood in one way or another, regardless of the other identities that we experience. I feel like we're always reminding little girls, you can be whoever you want, you can do whatever you want, because society in its many different forms teaches them differently. I think in a perfect world, girls would never think otherwise. They wouldn't need to be reminded that they can be whoever they want or they can do whatever they want because they would experience this endless stream of hopes and dreams. And I think in many ways, as a woman who experiences a lot of privilege, my expressions of womanhood have been boundless. Growing up as an upper middle class white woman in the suburbs of the United States, I experienced a very safe and happy childhood in comparison to the majority of women in the world. And to me, as a child, this was the norm. I grew up in a bubble where I was blissfully unaware of the state of the outside world. And I didn't become aware of the restrictions on my expressions of womanhood until I became older. I grew into my body and I gained a greater understanding of the patriarchal nature of the world around me and not just how this would come to affect myself, but how it would come to affect those who are much less privileged than me. I remember in middle school when certain trends became popular, like putting feathers in your hair, wearing tight skirts, knee-high boots with heels, you know, and while the girls around me were receiving dress code violations for the air quotes provocative nature of their outfits, my parents limited my wardrobe choices. I wasn't allowed to do these things. 
And at the time, I really resented them for this. And I hated this dress code because it forced girls to limit their fashion choices on the account of boys' immaturity. And they never tried to hide this. They would literally say to us that we were distracting and we couldn't show our shoulders because boys might not be able to focus on, you know, the content in class. And I remember in school and at church, I learned that I shouldn't explore my body at this age, that my sexuality was something that I was meant to repress and that I should express my, my gender or show my skin that I risked unwanted attention from men and that somehow that was my fault. I remember the first time that I was catcalled by a grown man from his truck while I was walking down the streets of New Orleans on a family vacation. And more vividly, I remember being a victim of sexual assault from my eighth grade boyfriend. And that was actually an experience that I didn't learn to identify as such until very recently. And these experiences not only taught me to repress my desire to express my personal ideas of womanhood, but they taught me to hide in more ways than one and to be afraid to talk to boys and men, and they taught me that I was solely responsible for the exploitation of my own body by the opposite gender. So while recognizing that in many, many ways I am so privileged as a woman to express myself how I want, these were definitely experiences that taught me that I was less than. So first of all, thank you for sharing such personal experiences. And as you were talking and sharing about your experiences, that made me think about an event that I went to about a month ago called A Seat at the Table, Well-Being Through the Lens of Social Justice. And it was actually at the National African American History and Culture Museum. So basically it was all about self-care, you know, while we're in the fight against inequity, and we talked about, because they put us in small groups, uh, about how black women rarely get to be mad or sad or basically experience the spectrum of emotions out of the very real reality um, that will be labeled as the angry black woman or as lazy or as Mm -hmm. difficult, which explains why a generation ago it was out of the question to see a therapist or even to this day you're made to feel bad or guilty for taking a mental health day or a break from it all and these restrictions are unspoken and spoken both external and internal but can literally be life and death, especially given the literature that shows the transgenerational effects of trauma and stress, right, on the expression of genes and how our very physiology changes and is showing up literally in the disproportionately high rates of maternal mortality among uh, U.S. black women. But this explains why we need more Brittany Cooper conversations, the sociologist, scholar, feminist, she calls herself a crunk feminist out of Rutgers, basically on how to productively use our anger. This is what she calls eloquent rage. But recognize that we have the right to be angry, just like any other emotion, because it's part of the human condition. But to follow up on the point you made about how girls at a very young age are trained to police their clothing choices and their decisions on when and where and who to hang out with. Because, God forbid, something happens to you, the first line of questioning is, well, what were you wearing and what were you drinking and why were you out so late and why did you go there alone and 
all these all these questions are never geared towards perpetrators in the same way, right? So this is why I love groups like Men Can Stop Rape. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They're based here in D.C. But mm-hmm. they really turn these ideologies on their head and come against that patriarchal thinking that leads to toxic masculinity in the first place and then even hyper-masculinity. But, you know, even just sex and gender injustices, regardless of how one presents, is what, you know, these type of advocacy-based organizations do. You know, we have talked a lot about your personal experiences and thoughts on womanhood, but I feel like before you use the term, you know, universal. So what are some of those universal mm-hmm. aspects of, of womanhood? Do you think there's any value in thinking of, of womanhood in a universal way? <laughs> At first, I feel like I would hesitate to say yes to this question because at the end of the day, I, I can't speak on behalf of, of so many other women in the world. But I definitely do feel a universal connection despite the differences in our experiences. I think that identities associated with womanhood, such as being a mother, a daughter, a sister, a granddaughter, and so many more, you know, transcend the boundaries sometimes of our many other individualities. I, and I do think that there's value in thinking this way, but to a certain extent. I think once we realize how our many other identities make us different, then we can start to begin to understand how in womanhood we are the same. I think it's important to recognize the bond that is created by this particular identity and that it can help us to learn the importance of compassion and love for those whose experiences are different from our own. So amongst our differences, such as culture, religion, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, sexual identity, socioeconomic background, we do have this one thing in common, that we are women and we will continue to grow and evolve as such. So I really think that looking at womanhood through a universal perspective can help to remind us that we're all united in this one common identity, and it just really helps us to remember to love everyone and to remember that strength is greater in numbers, and we should have each other's backs no matter what. I think that when we accept womanhood as a fluid and ever-changing concept and we don't confine ourselves to one set definition of what a woman should be, I think that this creates room for growth at the personal, interpersonal, and community levels. You know, we can start to grow together despite these differences in our experiences. I actually love that you recognize the problem with essentializing one experience as the experience, right? And even remember when you opened up our conversation, you were talking about what it means to be a woman is complex. Well, um, I also must say that, and I think I haven't mentioned this to you, um, to your class, that every single semester since, you know, the Global Women's Health course opened up in 2017, not one guy has ever enrolled, Okay. And so, (laughs) right, I'm just like, okay, wait. So, and you know how I feel about, um, you know, women are the bedrock of every society, right? There's like, they're really, women's health needs to be this economic imperative for sustainable development, take that strong human rights lens. But the thing is that, you know, it does bring up to the point that we do have, yes, these varied experiences, but that one major theme that binds us is that sense of urgency we feel to provide and preserve our right to live with dignity. And it's unfortunate that we have to rally around, like, shared oppressions, but it's real, right? And not all of those oppressions are, you know, simply because of our gender, like we talked about, because there's, like, all these other social positions and differences that we have that either empower or disempower us in ways that threaten our sense of self. But, you know, 
we literally are the ones taking care of our elders, whether they're related to us or they live in our neighborhood. We're taking care of the kids and the family and on a block, right, whether we birth them or not. We're taking care of extended family. We're taking care of our friends. And then then taking care of ourselves, oftentimes, unfortunately, in that order. So it makes sense that the helping professions like healthcare and education and social work are dominated by us because women have always been about building and creating a safe place to grow and be, which really explains why we belong in elected offices. I mean, really. <laughs> right? Okay. We look, out for the, we look out for our nation state always. So so let's uh, circle back a bit, though, because it's clear that you believe that there are dynamic and highly subjective aspects of womanhood. Can you share a little bit more about why we should value these personal lived experiences? Sure. So as I said before, as great as it is to acknowledge the bond of womanhood, I think it's equally beautiful and important to acknowledge the things that make us different. And I think that's it's crucial to approach feminism and the concept of womanhood with this intersectional lens. The title or the identity woman, although it does signify some similarity, does not indicate social equality of all those who identify this way. For example, straight, white, upper middle class, able-bodied woman like myself would see the world entirely differently than a woman who also identifies as black or transgender or low income or an immigrant or any combination of these or other identities. Some individuals prioritize their identity as a woman over other aspects of their lives while others may prioritize another, as I said before. And the adversity that we all face as women does not denote a cohesive experience as individuals as many women face adversity via their other identities and their other experiences. And this is where the concept of equity becomes so important. Lots of people, including myself at one point, are confused about the difference between equity and equality. And this is so crucial to know. It's so important and not enough people understand this difference. Equality is defined as treating everyone the same, while equity is defined as the quality of being fair and impartial. Sameness and fairness are two very different considerations because we could consider all women equal to each other, but this would undermine the value and the importance of each individual's multitude of other identities. Universally, although we share the bond of womanhood, we're not all equals. And that's okay because it can help us label our own privileges so that we can use them to help fight to achieve fairness and impartial treatment for our sisters. And what we should strive for is equity because it recognizes the uniqueness of women and it celebrates not only our sameness, but also these unique differences. Well, ain't that a word? Yes. And now you know how I feel about equity because you know equity, all things equity. I mean, this is first of all, this is the Equity Matters podcast, <laughs> right? And I definitely teach health equity courses, so you know, equity is my jam. Yes, yes. Um, so, Anna, what's next for you? Are you working with any women's based or women's health organizations, or are there any resources in organizations or online or books that you've read that you'd like to share? Sure. What's next for me? Let's see. I am involved with a couple groups on campus at GW. One thing that I'm getting involved with this coming semester that I'm super excited about is the organization WISE. So this is basically an organization that mentors 
young women in the middle school that's by GW's campus. I don't know a ton about it yet because I, I haven't done it yet, but I'm so excited. Basically, we go every Thursday and we just get to have conversations with these middle school girls about their health, their wellness, self-care, education, all of that. So I'm really excited to get into that. Um, and I would just recommend in general to anybody my age in terms of resources, getting involved with groups on your campus who are either advocates for women's rights, who do good work in the community, um, and who can help educate you, you know, because we're all still learning throughout, you know, we all continue to learn and continue to grow. So I think that that's something really important to do. I'm hoping in the next few years to maybe get certified as a doula. That's something I would really love to do on a volunteer basis. Really just anything I can do in the community to community um, to help serve women and women in DC especially. Um, I'm super passionate about that. So yeah, that's what's that's what's coming up for me in the future. I love to hear that you're interested in the uh, doula work. Speaking of health workforce equity and really addressing some of the pervasive disparities, right, and just making sure we don't have health uh, health professional shortages. So that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Tell us about some of the work that you were just doing on your service trip in Honduras. Okay, so I just returned from a week-long mission trip to a small town in Honduras called La Entrada. I got involved with this mission three years ago. My family has been largely involved in this for, I would say, about six years now. My dad also does a lot of work with it. And everybody in my family has been at least three times. My dad goes down like twice a year. So we're very heavily involved with the relationship building mission. And we have a school down there, grades one through eight. And the teachers are amazing. The kids are amazing. And when we go down for a week, it's just so refreshing to get to play with the kids and get to learn from them. And so I was actually teaching a a women's health program with the fifth through eighth grade girls. And I've been doing this for three years. And we learn about healthy relationships, anatomy, pregnancy, and we just kind of hang out and share our experiences and learn from each other. And it's a really great time. So that's what I've been doing this past week. That's amazing. Thanks so much for sharing that. And and something that you're doing on a continuous basis, it sounds like. It sounds like it's yes. sustainable over, you know, several summers. I love it. Okay. Awesome. So thank you so much, Anna, for being my very first guest on the Equity Matters podcast. I was so excited. Yes, it was so rich. It was just so delicious with so many gems and nuggets along the way. I appreciate your time. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was excellent. So we've come to the end of the show. Please share with me, with us, your stories on what womanhood means to you and why it's important to consider. And, you know, this question can really be answered by anyone, whether you identify as a woman or not. Just be sure to tag us, hashtag Equity Matters, and let's continue having the conversation on and offline. (laughs) 